Welcome to Adventure Rider Radio Raw, which is a spinoff that we do each month from Adventure Rider Radio. Both Adventure Rider Radio and Raw are produced by Elizabeth and myself, Jim Martin. We also produce another podcast called Beyond a Shadow, and we have links to all those shows on our website, adventureriderradio.com. This episode of Adventure Rider Radio is dedicated to food on the road. How each rider handles their daily ritual of eating, uh, the equipment they take, their kitchen setup, food they like, and well, a whole bunch more, as you can imagine, all coming up on this episode. Adventure Rider Radio is powered by some ads, and very importantly, your support. And it's Adventure Rider Radio that keeps raw going. So we have a support page set up at adventureriderradio.com forward slash support. Anything $10 or more is going to get you a motorcycle sticker. Um, you can put that in your toolbox, or your tank bag, or your pannier, whichever. Um, anything $50 or more gets you a mention on this show right now. And that's what I'm about to do. You can opt out for that as well so if you don't want to. Now, I want to start really with last month because last month I messed up a, a name and I forgot a name. That was uh, Damian Murray. Um, I don't know how I missed you last month, but I got you now. And then Mariah Schillern. I hope I've got that right this time. So for this month, we have Pete Babcock and Louisa Swadden. Thank you very much. Uh, it's great. And, and if you're a supporter of Adventure Rider Radio, no matter how much you support with, we really appreciate it. So thank you to all those that support the show through single amounts or whether you're on our patron support crew. A little bit from each listener makes a huge difference to Adventure Rider Radio and what we can do. You know, on average, we put out four or five episodes of Adventure Rider Radio each month, depending on uh, how many weeks are in the month. So it's one each week and then one raw episode. And we put um, quite a bit of production into it. I, I hope you get an idea of what, from what we're producing, from what you're hearing, just how serious we take this and how much time and work goes into each and every episode that we do here because we really put our all into it. And I think this is a time when we should be all supporting the things that we enjoy and want to see flourish. So consider adding your support, if you don't already, to Adventure Rider Radio through our patron account um, or, or through single supports. Um, we would just be ever so grateful if you would. I always like to use that coffee and bagel analogy. I've said it before on here, or the snack uh, that you go out and you buy each day. And you think about the money that you pay for it, how much money you spend on it, and the pleasure you get from it. And then think about Adventure Rider Radio and, and Raw and the pleasure that you get from that. And if, if you think that they add some pleasure to your life, then Maybe consider becoming uh, an active part by supporting the show if you don't already. Um, just drop by the website, adventureriderradio.com forward slash support. Now, here we go. ARR Raw for July 2018. Everyone studied the material right. and, and, of course, has plenty to go on. <laughs> I'm just reading yeah, right. it now. I'm just reading it now. I'm just on the third <laughs> question. Hang on. <laughs> From the Canoe West Media Studio on the shores of some nameless lake, deep in the wilds surrounding Kenora, Ontario, Canada... It is July 2018, and welcome to Adventure Rider Radio Raw. Roundtable discussions about motorcycles, travel, and anything else that crosses our mind, completely unscripted, raw, and personal. My name's Jim Martin, and today at the virtual roundtable afforded through the magic of the internet, I am joined by my regular Overland co-hosts, and I will start in Australia with Shirley and Brian. Shirley and Brian, how are you doing? Really well, Jim. Chilly down here. Winter has arrived, and it's um, single figures, but... 
Oh, we're nice and warm inside watching the rain outside. Yeah, and I've been up in the shed and I dragged myself away from the shed to come down here and talk to these wonderful people all over the world. So, um, yeah, I'm just up there um, planning and uh, scheming and working out what I'm going to do with a couple of bikes. So, um, yeah, there you go. Well, that's good. You know, the funny thing is when it comes to cold weather or warm weather, when you're in the opposite, it's really hard to imagine. I, I can remember talking to you guys. You were bragging about how nice it was. You're going to go to the pool and everything. And right now I'm, I'm sitting in heat. It's nice and warm here. And Maybe it's just sympathy or empathy that I don't have for you. But anyway. Yeah, it's yeah, right. thanks, we probably don't have it for you at the moment either. <laughs> and Grant Johnson, of course, is still on the West Coast. I shouldn't say still on the West Coast because you're, you're gone from there a lot. Currently. But you actually are on the West Coast. And I'm saying still because I'm not there. Grant, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing well, thanks. I hope everybody else is doing well. And welcome to the show again. And and you're um you're about uh, nine o'clock at night, so you're you've had your dinner. Had my dinner. Had a full day's work. Started early this morning. I've been really really busy the last couple of days. Up at seven yesterday, and now I'm up late tonight. So. Well, that's okay. I slept in this morning. It was lovely. But it's summertime. you, you got to be getting some riding in soon. I mean, you've got hum coming up, I think, for uh, in the Monashies soon. Yes, we do. you got to be stoked about for that. I mean, I'm I mean excited. not just because of the event. I'm thinking because you actually get out there and you get to ride. Yes, it'll be the second ride of the year for us. And, well, actually for me, because I get to ride up there, Susan gets to drive the car, carry a bunch of junk. So, <laughs> yeah, I get a good ride. So it's a nice six-hour ride. Always nice. And Sam Manicom is wide awake at uh, a really early hour in the UK. Sam? Hey, hello, everybody. Yeah, it's just gone five o'clock in the morning. And I tell you what, the sun's been over the horizon for about 20 minutes, and it's already rolling into a beautiful sunny day. Um, While you guys have just been talking, I had a quick look at the weather forecast, and we've got 22 degrees Celsius. So that's about a 72 Fahrenheit forecast for today. And... um, yeah, that's that's absolutely perfect. I like anything up to about 30, and around 30, then it really wakes up the day. 35 upwards, and that's getting a bit toasty for the likes of me. As even one, the African in me says that. Do you have one of those uh, those balconies that you can sit out on and have breakfast and have your coffee and watch the sun come up? I wish. No, actually, I, I am blessed, though. Um, my little office area is um, under the slope of, a, um, of the roof, and I have a, a really big Velux window set into the slope of the roof so I sit in under that and just watch the sky all the time I'm working it's it's really nice wow very nice and of course Graham Field is in Bulgaria comfortable and happy in his house good morning Graham I am comfortable and I am happy very excited got a lot of big plans that are all going on a lot of things happening well today this episode of Raw is dedicated to food food on the road because, um, well, food is many things to us. I mean, it's comfort. Um, it can be social. It's definitely cultural, of course, I mean, when you get into traveling. It can be friendship. You can invite somebody over to eat or maybe you get invited over, you know, by somebody else. It's connection, commonality. It's important to some, I guess, the whole ritual, the food, the drink, the sharing, the camaraderie, whereas other people just want to fill their bellies and that's it. But we all have to eat, so like it or not, to keep our bodies healthy, of course, and to, to keep our minds active and working. So today we're hopefully going to share some ideas and maybe some concepts of food on the road, making it, preparing it, maybe some tips on things that we bring or that you guys find that uh, make it uh, easier. And I, I'm talking it as in prepping your food or making your food on the road. And some tips for some gear as well. So um, 
I guess the place we should probably start off if we're talking about food is with gear, our, our kitchen gear, and, and maybe not necessarily a list of what to bring for everybody, but sort of what works for us. So first, let me ask, who doesn't eat from their bike? Is there anybody who does not eat from their bike? I don't really eat so much on it anymore, actually. Um, I've tried different stoves, the MRS ones, the Coleman ones. Nothing works for me. I know they work for other people, but they don't work for me. And I'm just tired of taking temperamental stoves and then all the pans and everything else that goes with it and the dishes that take up all that space and then the food. And I'd rather just um, not bother with that, to be honest. So, no, I don't really eat on my bike anymore. No, that's interesting. Um, the MSR stoves, you're saying that they just don't work for you or you can't get them to work? Oh, I bought one and it wouldn't work. And then they'd have big puffs of black smoke and I'd have to unblock it every time I used it. And it was just a... And then you stink of bloody... The, the gas stuff that it uses, the fuel stuff, and then you can't wash your hands because it doesn't work and you haven't managed to heat up any hot water. So I just got fed up with the thing. And then I moved to the Coleman stove because it's supposed to run off fuel out your bike. Well, that sounds like a good idea. And then that thing never worked for me either. So I just got fed up with them. I, I can't help but being drawn down this rabbit hole. It's not where I want to go. But, but I mean, you mean to say that because you can't get a stove to work, you're not going to eat. I mean, you sound like you're pouting. You're saying, I can't get the stove to work, so I'm, I'm just not eating. I'm not going to do it. I'm going on hunger strike until I find a stove that works for me. <laughs> no, it's just, I'm not, I can't cook anyway, even if I've got a proper stove like here in the kitchen. So I, so I just... I have muesli bars, which are great, and uh, and I just have other sort of stuff that doesn't need cooking. I'm not a sort of person who needs tea or coffee in the morning, so I don't need a hot drink when I start. So I can get away without it, and I can use that space for better things than cooking equipment that works sporadically. Okay, well, I'm going to leave it at that. Shirley, yeah, good. what were you about to say? <laughs> Well, we, um, we don't eat that much off the bike because being too up, we have trouble carrying a lot of stuff. But we always, um, when we do our big trips, we take a jet boil and that can deal with some kind of cooking and um, try and stay, if we stay in, um, camp on a campsite, if they've got a little fireplace and we can light a fire and cook over that, we've got little pans and all that sort oh, of yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, we've, we've got what we need to, to keep ourselves um, sustained, so to speak. Oh, no, look, I've got, to, I've got to say, Shirley has a particular food that we cannot leave home without, and it's something that you in the Northern Hemisphere, you heathens, don't understand. Vegemite. Vegemite. Yeah. Vegemite. <laughs> yeah, Vegemite. I have a tube of Vegemite packed ready to go when we fly out next week. <laughs> yeah, we, we get it here. It's it's fairly common. You get it at the uh, any sort of auto parts store. It's axle grease. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with a bit of grease. These people just don't get it. Vegemite is. It it took me all the way through Siberia and and Central Asia when I couldn't eat the mystery meat stew and all the other crap that was turned up and masquerading as a meal. Oh, and does she get filthy when she has to share it too? Oh, no, Come across some Australians <laughs> and they want to share some veggie, but oh, she, she makes it out. Little by little. <laughs> I don't think you're going to convert anyone to eating Vegemite who uh, who doesn't no, eat it already. It's, it's okay if you if you can't get Marmite, it will do, but it's just the wussy version of Marmite really. Oh. <laughs> 
Our niece married a pom and they had a fight over what their children would eat, Vegemite or Marmite. <laughs> Vegemite won and the kids are living here in Australia now. So, <laughs> Sam, you eat from your bike, don't you? Yeah, I sure do. Um, when I'm traveling on my own, I cook less for myself than when um, Birgit and I are traveling together and then we're always cooking. Um but when I'm on my own, I'm sometimes too lazy. I do carry the gear. Um, I like to wake up with a, a nice um, big mug of tea in the morning. Um, I very rarely cook breakfast. Uh, it's more likely to be a bowl of muesli, something like that. Um, but in the evening, I'll normally cook for myself, um, mostly because it means that um, I am eating a really good meal and I'm completely flexible. I'm not having to hunt for restaurants. I'm not having to carry quite so much food. Um, and I actually really enjoy cooking and I enjoy making the most of the possibilities, whatever they are along the way. So, yeah, I like cooking, but I do carry a, a very um, small um, cooking kit. Um, it, it does the job, but it's certainly not extravagant. I've seen some people who are, you know, sort of offloading sort of half a dozen pots and pans. And, um, and I was just thinking, blimey, you're really going to use all of those? Um, I cooked a meal for 11 people out of um, one one and a half litre billy can one time on a, um, in a hostel in, in Guatemala. It's amazing what you can do out of one pan. I just want to ask a question, Sam. What do you class as a really good meal that you cook on the road? Okay, um, let's say something like um, a rice pilaf, rice, rice pilaf or um, a tuna fish bake. Um, so, for example, with a tuna fish bake, you've got your pasta, you've got your sauce, which you can make from scratch with some flour and some oil from your tuna fish can, um, and a little bit of milk powder, and or you can use um, a mushroom sauce mix, uh, mushroom um, soup as a, a as a sauce mix, and then your tuna fish and onions and garlic, and you can find those sorts of things in most parts of the world. And um, if there's cheese around, then I'll mix in a little bit of cheese and um, um, I'll cook a little bit of veggie for the for the side. Or if there's something salady, because I'm in a country where salad is um, pretty much safe to eat. Um, yeah. So that would be a, a, an evening meal. Just um, a question. Where does the bake come into it? The My bake... idea of a tuna fish bake would be done in an oven. Um, all right, so I'm cheating a little bit. I actually, have, I actually have made one as a bake, and that was in Australia, funnily enough. And I put my billy on a large rock and used the heat from the rock to cook it from underneath, and I had another large rock on top. And I actually managed to melt the layer of cheese that I had sitting on top wow. of, the, of the bake with the rock from the top. So I was quite pleased with myself for that. See, when you're, you're talking about carrying flour... And yeah, just a little bit. And just a, little a packet bit. of mushroom soup mix. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of stuff. It's not. It's all dehydrated, um, low volume, high food value um, gear. You can put it in Ziplocs and you roll it up. It doesn't take up a lot of space. You can put all kinds of ingredients in. I mean, we used to do commercial trips and um, we would pack just a ton of food into a very small bag. And people were always very surprised with the meals that we would end up making. Like Sam says, it's dehydrated. A lot of the things you take and then you put them in the Ziplocs, you squeeze all the air out, you roll them up and um, boy, you can fit a fair bit in there. We've and tried the dehydrated meals and they're... 
No, that's advertising, yeah. really. The dehydrated uh, beans, that, that's, yeah, I, I wouldn't eat them. They're awfully expensive, too. I mean, you spend a fortune yeah, eating that way. But um, some of them are okay. I mean, I've tried some of those military ones as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some of them are okay. They make, you know, spaghetti or something like that. But um, not something you want to live on for very long. I was on a, a, a funny enough, at a Horizons Unlimited event in the UK. Um, and a couple of the guys sitting next door to me in their tent um, said, oh, come around for breakfast tomorrow morning. Oh, great. Okay, fantastic. We're having military meals. Oh, blimey. Haven't had one of those since Ethiopia. So I went round there and they had these self-cooking military meals. And you sort of cracked open this and shook that and um, the food inside the bags heated them up. And and I looked at this and I thought, wow, that's an awful lot of plastic um, that they're about to discard. And when the meal was actually cooked, I thought, okay, when does the main course come? There was so little of the food. I didn't feel full at all from it. I mean, it tasted okay, but I wasn't that impressed with it. Uh, before, I want, I want to just talk to everybody about what you're taking for as far as gear goes. But, uh, Grant, we haven't heard from you. You're, you're eating from your bike? Yeah, we do. But uh, we'll, we're like uh, Brian and Shirley. We now mostly don't eat off the bike, although on occasion we do. And when we're doing big trips... Um, when we started off in 86, we were so naive. It's, it's positively embarrassing. The, we took full-on frying pan and a big pot, with nice removable handles, and you know, really good, we can cook a major meal here and do it a proper type of stuff. Not anymore, we don't. We've reduced our kit to almost nothing, just a very, very bare minimum. And uh, like our primary thing is one pot, that's it. And two large bowls, and I mean fairly good-sized bowls. I mean, it's uh, bigger than your average bowl of soup, but everything goes into the bowl. That's that's where the meal goes. And one small plate, which is used more for cutting than anything else, or a small cutting board, depending on what we're doing. And, and that's really it. You know, um, one good sharp knife, one plastic spoon, one plastic fork, that's it. Oh, and a spoon. Yeah. Keep it very, very minimal because it, it's just a lot of stuff. And it adds up and it weighs so much that we've decided that for the amount we actually use it, we don't need a lot. Go for the absolute minimum. How little can we actually get away with? And it's surprising how little you can do. Uh, you're quite right, Grant. You really do not need an awful lot of stuff, do you? you know, I, I have a spoon and I have my Leatherman. I don't have a knife, another knife. I don't have a fork or anything like that. What more do you need than a spoon and your Leatherman? You can do everything. With yeah. Well, okay, we'll get on to my favorite hate. I hate Leatherman. <laughs> I've got one and I hate it. Just about slice my fingers off every time I open it. Oh, uh, we've got well, one that, that's good operator knife. error, Grant. That's not just operator error. Oh, I know it is. And I just, it's consistent <laughs> operator error. So I'm incompetent with a Leatherman. So, <laughs> Grant, wait, wait, are you allowed it? Grant, were you were laughing at Graham with his inability with cooking stoves. <laughs> I didn't laugh. I get it. But we do have a stove. We have an MSR, um, Whisper Light, which has been working for mm, 20 years. And yeah, it works. It works fine. The biggest issue with it is that it does clog if you don't have good, clean, premium fuel. If you've got anything but the very best stuff, it clogs something awful. Um, so that's pain. Yeah, maybe I didn't buy the best fuel for it. Yeah. You probably want to put better fuel in the stove than you do in your bike. Yes, yes. 
Triangle in Africa, that MSR in Africa drove me crazy. It was it required at least one cleaning per meal. And that was really aggravating. Well, is is that MSR that you're using meant to burn gasoline or is it meant to burn white gas? It's a multi-fuel and it's supposed to burn all fuels, but gasoline, well, it's arguable whether yeah. it's supposed to burn it. You change the jet for the gasoline, obviously. Oh, yeah, of yeah. course. Yeah, because yeah, really not, not all the MSR stoves are, are meant, of course, to burn gasoline. You know, a lot of them, no. most of them burn white gas only, which is expensive yeah. and difficult to get. Well, in Africa, forget it. You can't. But you can get kerosene, which they burn fairly well. Hmm. So I'm going to switch over to, to Graham here. Graham, let's hear, what do you carry as far as dishes? Do you carry anything at all or do you strictly count on, because you've talked about camping so many times. You've talked about these these spots where you stop and, and you get these incredible views and, and experiences being out in the wilderness, on the steppe, in Mongolia. How do you do that when you're looking for takeout food? Well, there's a few <laughs> things. Firstly, um, towards the end of the day, if you know you're going to walk wild camp or, you know, from sort of three o'clock onwards, you're looking for a truck stop or something where you can get some soup or some food. That's not always available. It's something to keep your eye out for because you can have a big meal and that's going to keep you going for 12 hours easily. Um, the other thing is I do, I know you've just dissed them, but I do go for the uh, the ready meals. Um, Wayfarer do these meals and you can get chicken tikka masala, you can get um, curries and bolognese and you can have like Lancashire hot pots and you can eat them cold. Or if you can boil water, have the facilities to boil water, you can heat them up and they're good. I have about five of those for a three month trip because I figure that's about the only time, five times in a hundred days when I'm not going to be able to have food. And I tend to save them for a real emergency, but they're yummy, really yummy. I could eat them every day. And okay, it does sound expensive, but by the time you bought your stove, bought your dishes, bought your spoons, fueled your stove, then there's not that much more than a you know, sort of a meal in a, a restaurant or something. So they sit at the back bottom of the panniers as absolute emergencies. I have muesli bars, protein bars, which I can have at any time of the day. Sort of a game for emergency use, but if I'm super hungry or I'm just cold and I know that I'm low on energy, I've got those. And then there's always bread available on the road and the sort of the Polish-style salami sausages. That's almost always available. So I've always got that in my panniers. And then as far as perishables, some tomatoes, bananas don't travel very well, but tomatoes or something like that. And I can make a sandwich and I can live off bread and something like that. And of course, I have marmite with me and I can live off bread and something like that for days on end. So as long as I've got water, that's really all I need. Well, you, you're talking about um, the meals that you bring. Those aren't freeze-dried meals, though. Those are they're prepared and, and uh, uh, what do you call them, um, with a lot of preservatives in them. They're, they're that type of meal. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. So yeah. So I mean, you're, you're still sort of eating. I mean, even making sandwiches and stuff, and that, that's still the style of eating. But by the sounds of it, I'm just going to throw this out there. Are you one of the people that are more of all you're concerned about is, is sort of filling your belly? And I'm not saying that in a derogatory way. <laughs> are you just concerned about that? You're not really concerned about the whole ritual of eating and everything. It's just a matter of get the food in and get the nutrition. I think that's my eating habit in, across life, regardless whether I'm on the road or not. You know, my cooking is not spectacular. It's not a ritual to be <laughs> prolonged or enjoyed. <laughs> it's just something to stop the hunger so I can get on with something else. <laughs> yeah, just going back to Graham and his um, um, uh, stove problems, I travelled with um, an English couple called Ashley and Donna um, uh, in Southern Africa. And these two didn't have a stove. 
But everywhere they went, um, one of them would put the tent up and the other would go wood hunting. And they cooked everything in one small pot on a wood stove. And they even managed to find wood next door to African villages and things like that. And it amazed me that they would come up with enough to, to cook meals. Um, and yeah, that just cut down what they were carrying all the time. And they both said to me, it's interesting what you can find when you're out looking for wood, the people you meet, and the snakes you see and all of that sort of stuff. That you're talking a tiny folding wood stove they brought with them? No, not at all. Oh, just they a just campfire. Went out and found wood. Mm, nice. Made, yeah. a little, made a little fire. And sometimes they were just cooking over twigs. I carry a little folding camp stove. I think I've mentioned that before on the show um, that um, does just that. You can collect twigs. And, and most of the time what I do is I, I make a little sort of, a, you know, experiment for myself. I, I just reach around as far as I can reach, you know, a six foot circle sort of thing and pick up little sticks. Obviously it doesn't work everywhere and throw the sticks in and burn it in the wood stove. And the wood stove's great. I mean, there's, there's so much fun you have with it. It's not as easy and reliable, of course, as a, as a gas stove. And, you know, I get made fun of for it sometimes, <laughs> but it, it's a nice way to do it and it folds up flat it's made of stainless steel and folds up it's very very small it's a great way to do it one thing that we take with this gym which folds up flat is um, a toaster a little toast rack that folds out and has some mesh underneath that she can sit on the fire and toast bread and nice. that's um that's a really nice piece of kit and it's flat folds flat about the size of a um I'm holding my hands up, which is really helpful. Um, <laughs> I about can feel a half a yeah, half A4 <laughs> size piece of paper. Not even that. Not even that. It's really. But of course, good. we have to take it because she has to have um, toast with her Vegemite, doesn't she? Well, she doesn't <laughs> always, but I was sometimes going to say it's that. Nice. But it helps. Yeah, <laughs> but really, if you're going to have toast and Vegemite, you need butter, and that's not so easy to carry. I need to counter the Vegemite and Marmite crowd for the North Americans. We go peanut butter and chocolate spread. Mm. Uh, now, just watch your chocolate spread and your peanut butter that they're not full of palm oil. No, no. We go peanut butter, which is just pure peanuts, and that's it. We actually make our own um, yeah, nut okay. butter now. It's much better. But Susan loves chocolate spread, and I'll go for the peanut butter, and they're – the peanut butter at least has protein and it helps get you going. So we use that quite a lot. We always make sure we got a, a jar of it. And chocolate is a food group. Don't, yes, don't it's a very that. important food group. Yes, I just had some about 20 minutes ago. <laughs> hey, how's the waste wine going? <laughs> um, it's doing just fine, thanks. It's it's growing just, just dandy. <laughs> Sam, what are you carrying for a kit? Can I just go back to Shirley's toaster for a sure. minute? Surely I've seen those and they're brilliant bits of kit. The last time I saw one was one that had an adjustable width so you could cook different size, you know, different thicknesses of bread. And I thought, what a brilliant idea. But the guy who'd got that was also using it for cooking steaks and sausages and things like that. Okay, yeah, I guess you could nice. do that. Yeah, we got one in um, Alaska, I think. That was we nicknamed the Tower of Toast because it was a three-sided one that you sat on top of the fire, and we set it alight the first time we used it. So <laughs> it actually wasn't a huge success. Now that you've went on with the toasters, Sam, I have to say that that I, I don't use a toaster like that. I, I fry my 
bread always. I always do it in the frying pan. I mean, I've done that for uh, since I started backpacking, I think. Um, it makes the best toast. You, you get a, I'm going to argue toast now here because I think your toast that you, Shirley and Brian, that you guys are taking, you're drying it out. Whereas if you do it in the frying pan, a clean frying pan, not in baking grease, um, but uh, you fry it and then it has some moisture to the inside of it still. It doesn't turn out to be this dry, crusty thing that's like a sponge. Um, and what do you fry it in? You fry it in, with nothing. What do you mean? Just, just dry fry it. Dry just fry Just dry yeah. fry it. Yeah. Just yeah. using heat. We, we do that at home. Uh-huh. We, we've, we always do that, Elizabeth and I. That, that's how we make our toast. Do you get crunchy toast? Yeah, it's crunchy, it's, but it's it, you can you can do it as crunchy as you want. I can't believe we're t- we're discussing this. <laughs> as crunchy as you want, you just leave it in longer. I find that um, the British like drier toast, and the yeah. Australians like dry toast, and North Americans like less dry toast. So you're an odd man out there, Jim, from what I've seen. Yeah, no, I, I know that. Um, but anyway, back to Sam, your kit. What do I carry? Um, yeah, for your, for your kitchen. I have an enamel bowl, which has about a one-inch rim, um, and that doubles up as a plate and a bowl. It's hygienic and it's tough. Um, it cost, I think, about 20 pence when I bought it in Namibia. Um I carry a one-litre billy can stainless steel, which I bought in India. Um, what I'm trying to get at is that actually my cooking gear, all of it pretty much, is um, a souvenir from somewhere along the way, so it's a nice memory. Um, I carry um, a lightweight eight-inch frying pan, and it really is lightweight. It's very thin. So if you are going to um, use it as you know for, for frying and that sort of thing, then um, you have to make sure that you can keep it far enough away from the flames to have good heat, but not so that it burns everything. Um, it also makes an excellent size stand puck for when you're on soggy ground. <laughs> so you don't you don't actually get to eat when you're on soggy ground because no, not at all. your no, we, your we, pan is under the bike. Yeah, it's it's called um, eating soup then. Um, <laughs> um, my spoon and Leatherman, as I mentioned before, and I'll carry um, a plastic spoon. It's um, pretty lightweight, but it's got um, about a seven-inch handle to it, and it's flat rather than spoon-shaped so that I can use it for um, stirring and for scooping and that sort of thing. And sometimes I'll use um, a small nylon chopping board. I was interested when Grant mentioned that, but very frequently I don't bother. I'll just use the bowl for that. Um, some friends, Sandy and Terry, on the subject of um, chopping boards, uh, they're American friends who travel fairly extensively with their son, Jack. Um, they adapted the top of their top box with a wooden board, and that's where they prep all of their food. And I really like the idea. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, so absolutely limited stuff, limited. Don't need much. Shirley and Brian. We take well. We're um, yeah. we're about to leave um, next week, and the bike's already hopefully on its way somewhere to somewhere outside of Australia. Um, and even though we're not camping on this trip, we've already packed a chopping board. We pack sporks, which I presume you people know what a spork is. Oh, go ahead and tell us what it is. Oh, a spoon and fork put together. You just got to be careful you don't cut the inside of your mouth with the serrated edge. Right. It's it's um, a, it's a silly way to, <laughs> to cut back on weight. <laughs> it is, but we have, but we also have real cutlery as well because we're just no, no. Well, well, the, the, well, the the chopping board is you know we'll be cruising around through France and you'll go and find a nice piece of cheese, uh, a nice um, a bread roll, uh, or a French breadstick. 
and go and find some nice little spot by a little stream and cut that up and share a glass of red and, and wine, all, wouldn't you? Yeah, we always right. carry mugs that will do hot and oh, wine. Mm. In the in the one in the one not at the one time of course but in the one <laughs> go, and when we when we are camping we've got the jet boil and um, the toast rack and we have a little plates of bowls that's yeah, it yeah and a pack of thick we bought them they're for hikers they're two little saucepans that fit inside each other and you can do a reasonable sort of meal with that yeah yeah with the jet boil um, the the two saucepans. That's plenty. That's heaps, of it, and it fits in uh, something about the size of a small thermos, and that's it. Even what you're describing, just taking you know some knives and your and your cutting board and your cups, and grabbing a bread roll and some cheese and, and maybe some you know meat or something like that, and, and some wine. I mean, uh, that that's totally you know doable. And and I guess it's the same sort of thing you're doing, isn't it, Graham? I mean, you're you know you're you're grabbing some food on the way. Maybe you're eating out a little bit, but you're still doing a certain amount of eating from the bike, even if it's simple. Yeah, and I suppose this goes on what we were talking about on Adventure Road Radio the other day was. Um, it's about interaction as well. If you have to stop at the markets and the shops to, to go and, or even in a, a local restaurant, then that's interaction with local people, which you might not necessarily have if you're just uh, uh, sitting on your own somewhere with your stove cooking your own food. So uh, yeah. I don't mind that. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Grant, what are you hauling for a kit? You already, I think we already talked about that, but the basics are very, very simple, um, as little as we can possibly manage. You know, like the chopping board is a, is a critical item, two big bowls, and that's all you need. A couple of plastic cups, everything fits into the bowls, and it's tiny, so that, and it very, weighs very little because it's all good quality plastic. Um, but we didn't spend a lot of money on it, didn't go into a camping store and buy any of it. We bought it at ordinary stores. It's, it's cheap, it's disposable, it's not a big deal, and it holds everything. I think the, it's really easy to get carried away going into a store and you look at all these wonderful kits and their titanium and, God, last time I looked at the price of a titanium kit, I just had a heart attack. You just don't need it. Keep it simple. And like Sam's done, if you decide that along the way what you're work, using doesn't really work, you might just see something in a local market that works really well. I think that's a good way to go. Yeah. Feel free to flex Trust. it and change it. Trust me, our pans are not titanium. You would not have had a heart attack when we bought them. Uh, cheap, the cheap, the cheap. other thing that we um, – it's probably my desire rather than Brian's, salt and pepper grinders, just tiny ones. They're really cool because they can make anything taste better. <laughs> you talk about buying things on the road. You know, like a serrated – a small serrated knife will cut through anything. You know, so including bits of rubber to repair bits on the bike. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Mm. That's true. Yeah. We have bags on top of our panniers, Jim, and one of those and, takes and the food. one of those has the jet boil and the, all the bits and pieces and whatever food we're carrying. You know, be it flatbread or biscuits and like Graham, we always take um, replenish um, muesli bars and things like that and uh, in Central Asia most of the petrol stations sold this fantastic stuff that was like a a hard toffee with peanuts um, and other nuts all the way through it and that was a mighty snack to have during the day. Yeah, it's fabulous stuff, isn't it? Yeah, the serrated knife, that's a really good tip, Brian. I think my favourite was sesame seed. Oh, yeah, they're good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we go a lot of uh, gorp, good old dried peanuts and fruits and nuts and 
just miscellaneous bits of things that you can eat along the way or stop anytime you're feeling a little peckish. Well, you don't want to go into a restaurant because you're out in the middle of nowhere and you're hungry. A little bag, a fairly good-sized Ziploc bag full of nuts and peanuts and raisins and all kinds of stuff. It's yeah. really good to keep you going. Got to throw in the Smarties, though. Those are really important. Oh. But not straight chocolate. Straight chocolate just melts, and it's horrible when you've got bits of chocolate in there that melt. Ah, it's just bad. That's the whole point of Smarties, isn't it? To deliver the chocolate oh, yes. in something that doesn't melt. Exactly. Is that what those stains were on your riding jacket, Grant? Oh, That's smart. right. Smarties <laughs> melted in your pocket. Right, got it. Yep. When we were in Central Asia and the food would kill you, um, I lived on Pringles and Mars bars. You have to eat the Mars bars straight away. They don't keep, but the Pringles will keep until the next petrol station you stop at. <laughs> Only if you eat them. Otherwise, they'll keep forever. <laughs> <laughs> so how about cleaning up? Because because that's one thing that's difficult to do, in particular, if you're short of water. Do you guys have any tips that you've found, any ways you've found? I mean, did you guys find anything that works? Jim, if I'm traveling in um, Western countries, and um, but there's very limited water, then I just use wet wipes. I'm, I'm using my intense shower usually anyway, so I've got those. Um, if I'm off the beaten track and then I'll quite often use um, sand with a tiny bit of water um, and just put that inside the pan and give that a good old scrape around using my usual green Brillo pad type thing. And it's amazing how well that cleans things out. And just let it dry, give it a good shake out and wipe and that's it, you're clean. Um, you saw really what I was going to say. Oh, <laughs> it's exactly sorry. the same thing. That's my, that's my technique. It's exactly the same. Sorry. Got to have that plastic it's pad. The, it yeah, works. It great works. minds think alike. Nice. I was uh, in the Altai region of Russia uh, before I crossed into Mongolia, and there's lots of lakes and rivers, and a lot of people selling fish at the side of the road, smoked fish, and that looked pretty good. So I stopped and got some of that, and it needed cutting up. So I got out my Swiss Army knife, because I don't do letterments either, and uh, cut it up on the inside of my pannier lid, because it is sort of lipped so good. It was okay. Oh, God, couldn't get the smell out. Couldn't get the smell out of my hands. I'm camped by a river, which is freezing cold. The next morning, there was actually snow on the mountains. It was that cold. <laughs> so there was no hot water to be had anywhere. Couldn't get the smell out of my hands. Couldn't get it off my panniers. It was just this grease fest of stinking smoked fish <laughs> that stayed for quite a while. <laughs> you know, when you hear more and more of Graham's stories as far as cooking and food is concerned, you realise why he doesn't cook much. <laughs> yeah. And why no one travels with me. <laughs> Smelly like, socks, that's not a problem. I can imagine the sleeping bag with this fish on it and, and all your clothes. <laughs> the smoked fish always looks so appetising, though, when you see it. Yeah, it does look good on the side. Remember that guy we met in um, Nepal, Shirley, that was riding his bush bike? He ate... He, he lived on garlic. Oh, yeah. He didn't have many friends. And uh, we pulled up, uh, we just pulled up on the side of the road to share a meal with him, and he stunk, absolutely stunk of garlic. And he actually said, uh, garlic keeps me healthy, but I have no girlfriends. <laughs> <laughs> you just have to find someone who eats the same amount of garlic as you do. If we're going to have garlic, we make sure everybody has garlic, and that way no one notices it. Uh-huh. <laughs> he was eating it raw. Yeah, you know, like, like normal people oh, yeah. would eat apple. Ooh. He was Romanian. I think uh, he was traveling the world on his push bike and he was going to cross into China without any visas or anything. And we've never heard from him again. So I don't it's know what happened to him. Yeah. Well, when it, um, so, so everybody, uh, I guess, is, is eating some, some of the local foods as you go. 
Do you ever find that um, there's foods that you don't want to eat, that you absolutely refuse to eat, areas that you that you do not want to eat the food? And if there are, what do you do with it? Sam, do you ever run into that? Um, yeah, I mean, it happens from time to time. I think we've talked before about me eating dog's testicles and sheep's eyeballs. Um, very entertaining. You can't say no in those situations. You either don't know um, what you're eating or um, when the eyeballs are looking at you and you know that you've been given this wonderful, honoured gift, you can't say no. But there, I've, I've travelled with friends who, for example, are vegetarian and they are given, um, offered meat dishes and they'll say that I'm really sorry, but it's against my religion. Um, and that's normally accepted. It seems to be pretty good reason to get out of eating things um, that you really don't want to. And another one that I've, I've seen used is explaining that you've got a health issue, which means that you can't. Um, but um, that's a little bit more difficult to explain when you haven't got a language in common. That's good. Um, anyone else with that? We, um, we were invited to a house in Norway for dinner, and as we were getting ready to go, I said to Brian, please make sure he's not going to feed us reindeer. I just could There's just something, the mental image of Dancer and Prancer and Rudolph and <laughs> what did he serve us, that beautiful Norwegian delicacy, reindeer. And it was actually very tasty, but I still don't tell a lot of people back here that we ate it. And further up the coast in Norway, we stopped at a, um, a cafe and they had the ship had just come in and they were serving whale steaks. Mm-hmm. And the man was deeply offended when I tried to explain to him that in Australia we do everything we can to stop people hunting whales. Uh, so I would pass on the whale steak for dinner that night. And the horse rectum? Oh, horse <laughs> rectum. Mm. We didn't try the horse rectum, but I still ponder what it would look like on a plate. Horse penis is supposed to be quite true. Oh, someone had to take it. <laughs> wow. Good, Jim, you just said, wow. You know, you go through some Asian countries and you'll go past a stall by the side of the road and they're selling penises. And they're all just hung up outside the stall from all sorts of different types of animals. And they're there to buy to cook. Stunned silence. Yeah, we've never, we've never ridden <laughs> we've past that them. kind of shop. <laughs> and just all the, the critters of various kinds and the bugs and the insects and the spiders, all of it, it's available. People eat it. Well, that doesn't mean, like Shirley said, with the whales, it doesn't mean you should. So, Sam, what does penis taste like? I'm chewy. <laughs> of course it does. Is it a mix between chicken and fish? <laughs> I, I, I will admit to having eaten horse penis, um, and it is very much like um, persuading yourself that it's salami that you're eating. Um, that helps. It doesn't taste like mm. salami. It just, ta- it just tasted like horse meat. Hmm. Still sun silence. <laughs> I was waiting for someone else to get in there. I'm surprised Graham's so quiet with that. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's so much. There's so much to say. Yes. Like, I've almost got a headache from all the possible comments. <laughs> and, and keeping my mouth tightly shut. <laughs> and saving you on the edits. <laughs> but changing the subject slightly... Um, 
I was wild camping in Turkey once, and when I got up and left in the morning, of course, with absolutely nothing to eat, not long after I hit a, a beautiful cosmopolitan town and uh, a sort of going to work time, rush hour time, and there was this restaurant and people were sitting outside and it looked lovely. And I thought, well, I wild camped last night and saved my money on a hotel. I think I'm going to stop here and have a really nice breakfast. And sat outside, there's a busy street, people are going to work and it's all lively and exciting. And um, my food arrived and it looked good, big bowl. And uh, the smell wasn't so good, but it didn't really matter. And I dipped in my spoon, got a big mouthful, and I just had to spit it out. I mean, it was unswallowable. I just couldn't swallow it. And it was tripe. And <laughs> I have learned since I cannot do tripe. I mean, it's the one of the few things on my list I just can't. And it, there was beautiful fresh bread at the side, and I tried dipping bread in it. And even that, it was just fatty, greasy, absolutely horrendous. And I had to shake my head at this waitress and just, I'm sorry, I can't eat it. But what a dismal start. I had such high expectations of this restaurant. Everybody around me is all eating this tripe, tucking into it. Apparently, it's a hangover cure as well as a breakfast. It's, and uh, I thought, well, bugger, I've just had to pay for a meal I couldn't eat. And then she came out with bread and jam for me, which was really nice. So she <laughs> saved it. And I thought, oh, now I've got to pay for two breakfasts. And when I went to leave, they didn't charge me for anything. It was really oh, lovely. Nice. <laughs> yeah, that's good, so that, that's the only thing on my list. I don't like cucumbers. I don't eat cucumbers, but I've been picking those out of my life. But tripe, I cannot eat tripe. Graham, you and Birgit are very much like-minded. We ate in quite a lot of um, village restaurants in Peru, and quite often it would be um, a tripe stew or soup of some sort. And sometimes the, the tripe still had the grass on it from the, from the inside of the stomach. Oh. And, uh, she just looked at this and she, you, you could see her stomach turning up over just by the expression on her face. Um, so I ate very well, but she always had my dessert, so she was happy, especially if there was chocolate involved somehow. But, but, but on the road, you can get the, the delicacies, local delicacies can be really special too. You know, I can remember we went out in Quetta. Remember we went to that restaurant where the local delicacy was... A, Lamb. It, yeah, but it was, it was slow roasted yeah, it was in a clay pot and it had been roasting for uh, eight hours and it was just beautiful. And leg of lamb on a stick. Leg of lamb on a stick. We've had that. Yeah. Horse rectum, not so good. No. Mystery meat stew, not so good. No. When it's been cooked five or six times, it gets a bit hard. But it's also mind over matter. I won't do um, guinea pig. We didn't eat guinea pig at all when we were in South America. And we avoided the restaurants that had the lovely picture of the German shepherd outside them in Vietnam. We didn't eat dog. Um, no. I have never eaten horse that I'm aware of, but God oh, knows what was okay. in the mystery meat stew in Central horse. Asia. Yeah, camel, horse, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Camel. Yeah, we have had camel. Yeah, yeah. Emu. And crocodile. Crocodile, of course. Snake. That's all right. Yeah, there's quite a few things out there that are pretty good. We remember arriving in Argentina after Africa, and uh, we saw this thing. It was up there on the menu. It says asado. I think that's something like meats and stuff like that. And so we thought, well, we'll try the asado. That looks like the big meal of the day kind of thing. So we ordered an asado and a bunch of meat came out. Hmm, okay, so I guess it's just meat. So we started in on that and we, we asked, do you have any vegetables? And I remember the waiter looking at us. This is fish talus. <laughs> hmm. We have chicken. 
<laughs> as close as they could come and then the main course came out we were just eating the appetizers and then the main course came out and it was all steaks which is incredible we'd already filled yeah. ourselves up on the appetizer yeah but you go into a go into a pub in Ireland and you had what was it three types of potato wasn't it mashed what? potato baked potato and chips and it came with all three vegetables those three those yeah. three vegetables right <laughs> of course when you were talking about um, asados in Australia, in Argentina, when Birgit and I first arrived into um, Argentina from South Africa, um, we'd been eating an awful lot of um, salads and things like that. And we were gobsmacked at how scrawny and expensive the salad vegetables were um, yep. in the stores. Um, mm. And it took us about a week and a half be before we realized that actually meat was dirt cheap and amazingly good quality. And we were invited to an asado um, at uh, New Year's and just this huge pile of meat, huge pile. Oh, and we incredible. looked at our hosts and said to them, so uh, what time do the other guests turn up? And Well, no, this is just for us. And we <laughs> ate for about four hours. But the thing that was interesting for me with the asado was that they were cooking every part of um, the beef cow. So yep. you had the stomach lining, you had the fat from around the heart and all of those sorts of things. And they were all the sorts of things that normally would get turned into sausages. But these guys were barbecuing them and they mm. actually tasted delicious. And it would have been easy just to say, oh, no way, you're not eating that, that's just pure fat. But actually the way that they cooked it um, made it delicious. Probably not very healthy, <laughs> but yeah, delicious. Why, the, why are the vegetables so rare or so expensive? Meat, meat, meat. It's all about the meat. That's what but matters. Is it culture, or, or is it to do with culture? The, oh, is it? Mm. Yeah. But what yeah, about they don't? They don't actually have huge pastures that they can turn into vegetable gardens either. Yeah, oh, that's that's, that's, yeah. yeah. yeah when you yeah. go to, right down in the south, it's very, very um, blustery and windy mm. and pretty hard to grow vegetables. But you know, cattle survive out there quite well. And it, down in the Shire, I can remember you buy the. The sausages by the meter, you oh, yeah. buy a meter and uh, curl it up and cook that on your on your open campfire. And a lot of the restaurants, I can remember going to one where they had an asado going and they had glass and you could see it cooking from the street. And there were dogs, street dogs outside salivating, mm. watching his meat, <laughs> watching his meat. And the owner, when he 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 cut uh, certain cuts off. He actually went out the front door and fed the dogs, which we thought was quite yeah, it was good. good. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. Mm. Have you guys ever yeah. travelled with a vegetarian through country like that? Mm. Oh my god, my niece is a mm. vegan. I'm too scared to invite her for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> yes, when we headed for South Central America, I started out as a vegetarian and quickly realised I was going to starve to death. So, gave up on that. Just couldn't do it. It was just not available. It was everything was chicken and rice or rice and chicken. That was basically it. So, not much choice. It's very difficult being a vegetarian on the road. Yeah, I think it's getting easier. Did you celebrate now. when you saw a green grass pasture? No, I didn't. <laughs> if it had some good good food growing in it, corn, you know, a few things like that, maybe. Yeah, that would be all right. No, I just gave up. It was hopeless. With all the talk of um, what Sam eats on the road, um, it's probably a good uh, point to bring up about stomach problems. <laughs> what do you do? Well, we've you all had them, you, that's for sure. What do you yeah. do when you find you've eaten something and it doesn't uh, sit so well with you? Do you hunker out? Uh, you hunker down rather and take your chances, or, or do you uh, do you guys carry things to deal with it? Well, the medicos say you should try and just let it um, pass through your system. 
Yes. Naturally. But if you if we've got to keep moving and can't oh God, this all these adjectives are just not right, are they? But if we have to keep on the road rather than stay for a couple of days in a hotel, we carry Imodium or gastro stop or those things. So you can keep moving on the road. But the idea is actually to try and let it work its way out of your system. Yeah, I think at one stage we were in Nepal and um, there was a, a strike on there, which meant that they were going to close the roads, leaving Kathmandu, and we had to leave. And I was crook. I think I'd had a salad which uh, had been washed in water and hadn't had uh, hadn't been treated with iodine or whatever they treat it with. And we had to move. And my head was thumping so badly. We got out of. Uh, Kathmandu and I just had to find something to lay down. I actually laid down on the road and slept on the side of the road and slept for about half an hour. Um, But sometimes you just got to do that to keep moving. Um, Yeah. But ammonium is good. We use that a lot Mm. um, when we have to. And gastrolite stuff, if you can find it, if you can go to the chemist and get that stuff that mum used to give you when you were a kid, gastrolite. Yeah, that's about it. Yeah, we carry a packet of, of that and uh, the emodium especially, but we really try h- very hard not to use it. Our favorite is wherever you are, there's always a good hotel. It might be expensive, but hey, when you're feeling really sick, especially if both of you are sick, it's really nice to be able to call room service and have food brought up. And if you're yep. really, really crook, mm-hmm. they'll get a doctor for you. Where, whereas yeah. if you're in someplace cheap, they don't really care that much. You know, and they're not going to bring you your food from the local restaurant either. So it's really tough. So I think that's the time when you stop being on a super budget and look after yourself, give yourself a treat, relax, be comfortable, a nice room, nice bed, um, nice good toilet. food. Yeah, nice yeah. toilet. Yes, not a toilet Clean. down the hall. No, <laughs> that's not toilet. on. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's the time when you just have to say, right, I'm sick, look after me. And take your take your time and relax. But you if you really have to get need, on the road, yeah. that's you, a really you good do, point. Grant, you, you're right. You need to have a contingency in your budget for those kind of emergencies. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, that's really important. I, I mean, I know people who have, and I have had, had to do it myself, is stay in a really crap hotel when you're feeling really sick and you're spending half your time yeah. deciding when you're heading for the bathroom, which end do I put on? I'm not quite sure. That's just not not good. I mean, the one experience I had in that situation, never again. No, thank you. Yeah, I nearly died in a, in a cheap hotel in India. Uh, mm-hmm. Bugs suddenly hit and, yeah, um, couldn't get out of bed. And it was only the – I mean, I, I tend to get a bit gross sometimes, don't I? I'm sorry, but – um, that's just how it happens sometimes. Um, I messed the sheets because I suddenly wasn't strong enough to get out of bed, literally, too weak. And it was only um, after a couple of days, other guests complaining about the smell coming from my room, um, that meant that um, the hotel manager came and um, and had a look inside. And oh. I was really, really ill. Um, and, yeah, who knows if they hadn't done that. Um, yeah. Who knows what would have happened? So, you know, your advice about getting yourself into um, a a better hotel is really sound. Um, If you're feeling ill, talk to the receptionist and say, look, you know, I'm I'm not well. Um, If you don't see something from me from the next 24 hours, then 
come and see if I'm all right. This is particularly if you're traveling on your own. And one of the nice things about a better hotel is that they've also got plenty of toilet paper and easy access <laughs> to a shower that works because that um, that's kind of important. I mean, most yes. stomach problems technically only last between three and five days. And I think the thing that people need to watch out for during that time is whether they've got blood in the stall. And if they do get blood in their stall, then they really need to go and, and seek medical help. The classics that people get are things like E. coli, salmonella parasites, such as Giardia and so on. And those things can hit really fast, but they move through quite quickly. I mean, Giardia is the most entertaining one, isn't it? Has everybody had Giardia? Uh, no, no. And don't, uh, would rather not experience it. it but that's the thing people it's think very, of. It's very, very unpleasant. And, and it can stay with you for a long time after you get back to your home base as well. Yes, it can. But people no, people think of upset tummy like when you eat something a little bit off or drink too much booze at home, but an, an upset stomach on the road, as you were saying, um, Sam, can be far worse and far more serious. Yeah. You've got to pay attention to the warning signs, haven't you? And, and I think that there are things like a grumbling stomach, um, that sort of queasy feeling, the headachey feeling that Brian mentioned, the slightly sick, slightly feverish, off colour. Um, and if yeah. you can feel all those sort of things bubbling, then, yeah, pay attention to those warning signs. It's probably not heat that's getting to you. It's probably yeah. a stomach. Hey, Sam, and I only need about must... two of those things mm -hmm. and I'll head for the Fred for a good hotel. Yeah. I don't need the whole, yeah. whole gamut of them. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And the other thing you must do is keep yourself hydrated. You know, it's very easy to be dehydrated when you're sick like that, and you must keep the fluids up. And it's it's um, drinking water um, that really, really matters, and, and trying to stay um, clear of um, drinks that are full of sugar because they're just not good when you're trying to hydrate. And it's worse people, I think, learning how to make their own um, hydration fluid. And basically, that's a mix of, of water, sugar, and salt, but it's knowing the right quantities, isn't it? Because if you can do that, then you can you can keep yourself hydrated, and that's so important. Um, and there are all sorts of old school remedies, aren't there, when you get stomach upsets and so on? Um, but for me, it's steering clear of milk and grease laden products. Oh yeah, because um, those are absolutely the worst, aren't they? But your 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 stomach and your brain tell you quite often what to steer clear of, don't they? Oh God, I couldn't face that. Yeah, and <laughs> and when you're to... when you're looking at street food, if the person who's serving the street food looks sick, mm. don't go there. <laughs> yeah. hey, the sickest oh, yeah. I've ever been was from a Wimpy's hamburger in Nairobi. Mm -hmm. Both of us had one, and we were both unbelievably sick for five days yeah and, and we were lucky we had just flown in and we always when we fly in we get a, a good hotel so we were staying at the international hotel and that night we went out to wimpy's and we stayed five days and we were only planning on staying one night and that was it but wow were we sick yeah that was horrendous that's quite a vacation another, <laughs> another good food on the road is um in Pakistan and places like that, and we're in there in Ramadan, weren't we? Um, onion bhajis, anything that's fried and a fresh uh, onion, fried, deep fried, um, would kill any germ. We uh, had quite a few of those. Mm. They were really nice for, as street food from street vendors. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I want Ryan to tell me a sick story. 
Graham's just <laughs> Gra- Graham's he's just quiet sitting here. there holding everything back because he, he he's going to outgross us. I know. No. Well, it's, it's not a competition, is it? But I'm winning. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, as you've been talked over thinking about many, many, and I suppose my first trip to India and where I learned you don't eat in an empty restaurant and uh, <laughs> you also don't try and eat something. that, that It was a, a sort of more holiday-ish place uh, in Goa and there was a place that attempted to do pizza. Now, Indians don't eat pizza. They don't cook pizza. And this, well, this was you know, tw- over 20 years ago. And... Um, but me and the guy I was travelling with decided we were going to have pizza and they turned the lights on in their restaurant and uh, pulled out a chair for us and found some bad ingredients that God knows how long they'd been rotting out the back, unrefrigerated. And, yeah, we got incredibly sick. We were sharing a room, me and my mate, and we were, neither of us could leave the room, couldn't leave the toilet. And uh, this went on, I don't know, probably for 36 hours. And we had these dry biscuits and we couldn't even eat them. But we were... We were just bored because we were ill, we couldn't move, and we found that if we threw these biscuits up in the air, they could hit the ceiling fan. If you got it to hit the ceiling fan just right, it would project it against the wall at full force and then break, explode into crumbs with the impact. That was our entertainment for 12 hours. You win. Until I finally showed off and said, look, I can fart. <laughs> and then walk to the bathroom like I was on the Osborne. Wow, the, the mention of choosing a, a street food vendor is, you know, brings up a question on how someone should choose a street food vendor because that's obviously a good place to get food. But how do you guys pick them? Are they Brian's busy? Advice is early is busy because then they're turning the food the food over. Yeah. yeah, yeah. where there's a queue and where locals are eating. If locals eat there, you're doing all right. Yeah, and even then, um, we had one bad experience in India where uh, they were cooking um, pad thai, which is basically noodles and other stuff tossed on. Well, the noodles, I don't know what the story was, but the noodles were absolutely terrible. They were boiled in water, but probably been sitting for hours and not boiled long enough or recently enough. And we were super sick on that. And it was definitely the noodles. So you got to make sure that it's freshly cooked and it's hot. Something that's been sitting for a little while, I wouldn't touch it. I totally agree with you, Grant. And that is one of the beauties about a lot of the street stores in developing world countries, isn't it? Because you can actually see what is being cooked right then and say, I'll have that. I'll have that, please. That's coming off the grill and it's sizzling. I'll take it. Yeah. Otherwise, no chance. Yeah, that's right. But that, that can go for a, you know, a, a high-quality hotel. I've, in, in, during work, I've stayed in places with Bay Marie's. They just brought out breakfast that was breakfast yesterday and the day before in <laughs> Bay Marie's, and you get bloody sick with that. But yeah. Yeah. That's the worst. I mean, we can't afford to eat in posh restaurants and so on, um, which is probably a good idea because they you have no idea what's been going on behind the scenes. Um, you can't see, you know, is the chef picking his nose as he's cooking and does he wash his hands and how long's the food been hanging around and all of those sorts of things. Um, but when it's food stores and, you know, the little local restaurants where they're cooking in front of you, um, just so much safer. And the other place that we tend to look out for is um, truck stops. 
Because the truck drivers know which stalls and those um, truck stops are going to make you sick and they can't afford to be ill. Um, now they're yeah, cheap, basic food that tends to yeah keep you going and be safe. Yeah, and I found lots of times it's really, really good too. Most of the time it's really good. At the very mm-hmm. least, it's okay. Yep. That's the worst, but uh, sometimes Normal. you just kind of wonder... Yeah, far healthier food at truck stops, I think, across Asia. than I mean, the UK truck stops are just burgers and greasy spoon. Mm-hmm. It's not healthy at yeah. all. It's, it's tasty, but it's not healthy. Whereas I think when you get further east, it's good stuff, stews and soups, and it's been cooking all day. The meat is tender. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's healthy and cheap because truck drivers aren't rich people. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's amazing how cheap you can get some food. We were in Panama last year. And if you, you could actually go into a McDonald's or a Kentucky Fried Chicken and everything, and the prices were North American prices. You know, kind of like, wow, that's expensive. And you go into one of the local eateries, and we had a full-on good meal with all kinds of stuff, and meat and rice and veggies, the whole bit. It was like four fifty a piece. Dirt cheap compared to what eating in the uh, in a, a Western-type restaurant. And it was really good, and there was tons of it. I couldn't eat it all. Can I ask you guys a question? Do any of you ever carry antibiotics when you're going yeah. um, long distance? Yeah. 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 What yeah. What do you carry? Oh. Is it um, C-Pro or something like that? Oh, oh, I don't it's know. Broad, we, it's a broad-based antibiotic. Yeah. Um, which, we get it from our GP, yeah, yeah. And, but it's just as a stopgap measure if you're really crook to kick in straight away. But if you're that crook, you really need to go and see a doctor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we carried something, and I cannot remember what it is. That's Susan's department. But, yeah, a broad-spectrum antibiotic is a a good thing to have in an emergency, but you don't want to take it unless you can't get to a doctor and you're really desperate. In in some countries, um, if you can't get to a doctor, then get to a pharmacist. Um, yes. Where the, where the pharmacist speaks English. Pharmacists tend to be pretty well educated in most countries yeah. and a lot of them speak English. And if you can't get to a doctor, then um, they will give you really good advice. But one of the things I think if people are talking about antibiotics is when they go to speak to a pharmacist or a doctor for that matter, um, if you're taking other, medica- other medications, make sure that they know what you're taking because some of the antibiotics can have pretty nasty side effects with other, um, mm-hmm. other drugs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I discovered in Tunisia, I got really sick and went to a doctor and the doctor said, okay, I'm gonna, I want you to take this shot to go to the pharmacist and the pharmacist will give you the shot. What? And that was really weird to me, and, but that's the way it's done is the pharmacist gives you the shot. And that's the way they do things. And it works fine. That was how I met Olga the shot putter in Argentina. Okay. Olga <laughs> the shot putter. Tell us more. Is the next girlfriend? <sighs> No, and, and you wouldn't want her as an ex-girlfriend unless you were into shot putting and weightlifting. No, I'd, I'd slipped discs in my back and went to the doctor and um, the doctor gave us a prescription for anti-inflammatories and then said, yeah, go to the pharmacy. So down to the pharmacist we went and I thought I was going to get some tablets or something like that. But um, no, he's, um, the pharmacist said, um, yep, okay, you go, that room over there. So I went over to the, to the tiny little cubicle, went inside and waited and then this woman who was about five foot three tall and about five three foot three wide at the shoulders, her biceps were bigger than my thighs, walked in and she said, looked at me and she said, you, trousers down. Okay, you, bend over. Yeah, fine. Bang, in went the injection. My goodness. But I tell you what, moments later, absolute bliss. And I fell in love with Olga, the shot putter. 
<laughs> I guess there's more to the story. You have to get the book for that, folks. <laughs> a shot putter because she threw, threw the shot or a shot putter because she put a shot in your ass. Um, there are so many plays you can make on this game. <laughs> Let's not go there. Somehow we went down a, a road that was not intended for this, but but in any case... And Sorry, nothing to do with food, was it? Oh, well. That's what adventure travel's all about, Jim, going down a road you didn't intend to. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> so um, do you, did you guys have anything else that you prepared for this? Did anyone have anything they wanted to, to add to any of this? I do. Yeah, I, 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 I just wrote myself a small note saying that snakes are underrated. Yeah. When I say snakes, I mean the little um, ones that are full of sugar that you buy, the little lollies, because when you're riding along and it's a stinking hot day, you've got to be prepared when you're going to take the snakes because you'll have the sugar high, then you'll have the sugar low. So um, uh, we travel along and quite often we'll get little little, uh, pick-me-ups like that and just feed ourselves, usually later in the day, just just before you getting prepared to stop maybe one or two hours out and um, a little bit of a sugar fix doesn't hurt. So you're talking about those little uh, those little gooey things with the sugar on the outside? Yeah, well, yeah. Or anything like that? Yeah, anything like that. Just just a sugar sugar hit, you know. Water and sugar hit as you're riding along can help you out a bit just to keep your concentration levels up. Sure, easy to Gorp. carry. <laughs> yeah, or Gorp. That, that's, that's what's all my favourite as well. Is, uh, yeah, that's right. And the reason I say snakes is because with a gloved hand you can pick them up and put them in your mouth. Ooh, that's good. Sam, what did you have? Um, you know, you started off the show talking about. Um, what an important thing food is um, culturally and so on. And I think that's absolutely right. Food for me is one of the most fantastic things about travel because we see the cultural changes, don't we? But being able to taste them too is fantastic. And I think that we motorcycle overlanders live by our senses, don't we? Because we're out there in it and all our senses are firing on all cylinders. Neglecting the sense of taste is just such a waste of opportunity. And I also think it happens in, in our own countries too. Um, Except perhaps in Australia, where it's meat pie, mashed potato, and um, tomato ketchup, isn't it? Hey, 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 hey! We're <laughs> multicultural here. <laughs> no, I mean, um, seriously. I was just thinking about the UK and the food in the north here is completely different to the food in the south, and that is one of the joys about travelling in any country. I was thinking about recent trips in the United States and the vast range of different foods in the different parts of the states that I've been to. And what a waste not to try all of these things. And some of these foods I've only ever heard about in books or on movies and things like that. But to actually go and taste these things um, in the cultural environment is absolutely fabulous. But I also started thinking about what we actually need when we're on a long distance journey to keep ourselves alive and safe and well. And one of my favorite sayings is eat well and sleep well and you travel with a smile. And to to be healthy, it means that you've got to have the right mix of carbs, proteins and the right mix of vitamins. And I thought, hang on a minute, all these years I've been traveling and I've never really known what it is that I'm supposed to be eating. Now, I'm lucky because my background is such that, you know, I've always been fed well. And so just naturally, instinctively go for food that does you good. But what is it? So I went through um, the main 14 vitamins that your body needs to, um, to, to have. And most of us just automatically consume them because we're lucky enough to live in Western countries and the food is available. But if you're on the road, 
what is it that you need to be looking out for so that you get the right sort of mix of um, proteins and vitamins. And I went through all of the lists and these are the things that if you can eat, you can stay, have the best chance of staying healthy. And think about it, guys, as you, for all of the different countries that you've been traveling through, the, the places that you can get most of these things. So the first is fatty fish. Eggs is way high on the list. Milk products, beef liver. Yeah, of course, there are plenty of countries where I'm not going to eat beef liver. Avocado pears are one of the most fantastic foods that you can get. Sweet potatoes and almonds also absolutely phenomenal. And how many countries in the world can you get avocado, sweet potatoes and almonds? Nuts in general, citrus fruits, non-citrus fruits, and then your, your carbs. And if you can eat those things wherever you're going or versions of them, then you'll stay healthy. It's as simple as that. Nice, hey? Sounds about right. Yeah. I'd just like to thank Sam for doing all the research again this uh, this month. Yeah, we just put that on the show notes. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we are recovered. <laughs> you know, the people that I feel sorry, sorry for, though, are the people who've got health issues, which mean that they are incredibly limited um, as they're traveling, and they just can't say, oh, well, I'll go and eat at that food store. Um, or they can't find the foods um, that mean that they can stay healthy easily. But I think, as with everything in the world where there's a will, there's a way. And even people who have got um, dietary limitations will find a way to make it happen. Um, and I just want to say, look, don't let it put you off if you are one of those. Um, I mean, for me, for example, traveling in the United States is a nightmare. I can't take sugar. And everything has bloody sugar in it. Mm, um, yeah, but yeah way too much. Find your way around and there's lots of fresh food, which is one of the reasons why I cook a lot for myself because then I can be cooking stuff where um, I'm not consuming lots of sugar. So there is a way and um, I'm still eating local ingredients. I mean, traveling in California, for example, some of the best avocados ever. And, you know, hey, that's on my list of stuff to eat. Um, so it works. You can make it happen. Yep, there's lots of things you can make. Um, one of our favorite um, quick meals that you can make in a fry pan at the side of the road is avocado, mm -hmm. grind it up so it's kind of guacamole-ish, sliced tomatoes, and cheese. Grilled cheese sandwich with avocado and tomatoes. Wonderful. Mm, yeah, nice. And it's got all, all the good food groups. It's really healthy. Yep. So We also use um, almonds. We make almond butter. Just toss the almonds in a... Um, a food processor, and you can make your own <clears throat> almond butter instead of peanut butter. Much healthier. Well, that sounds nice. I nice. haven't heard of that yeah. one. That makes sense. Oh, yeah. It's like wonderful. That. Well, the secret about uh, making almond butter or cashew butter, which we also do on occasion as a real treat, um, you toss them in, and you think after about a minute or two, this isn't working. It takes about eight to ten minutes just chewing away with the food processor, and you'll end up with perfectly good almond butter. It's lovely. And that's all you do? You don't add anything? That's it. Nothing. Don't add anything. Nice. Just toss the almonds in and grind her up. How long will that last when, if, you know, stick it in a jar when you're on the road? How, how, what sort of time? Um, well, we go through a jar at home and we don't put it in the fridge or anything. We just, it just sits on the counter and we go through a jar in a week, 10 days at most. And it's fine. I'm sure it would last a couple of weeks without any issues at all. I mean, it, it's just almonds. Mm. That's all it is. There's, there's nothing else to go bad. I mean, technically, almonds can last for a really long time. Yeah. 
I'm sure that almond butter is not going to last as well because you've got the oil coming up and it needs to be stirred once in a while and stuff like that. But it's not a big issue. It should last fine. Mm. So, and again, you're back to gorp. Good old gorp. That's the thing I love about gorp is you've got sweet. If you've got a little bit of sugar, you give yourself a kick, except for poor old Sam. And the protein keeps you going for a long time. It's much better than a quick hit of a, a candy bar. I mean, you, I remember when I was young and started traveling, pulled into a gas station, and I need a pick-me-up, so I'd buy a chocolate bar. Oh, the worst thing you could do. You zing for about 10 minutes, and then you crash. Gorp, much better. That's where Graham's um, muesli bars and things like that are, are so good because of the mix of the nuts and the fruits and so on. Yeah, um, absolutely. So you've got the quick release and the slow release. Yeah. yeah, our typical breakfast on the road is muesli and whatever we can find in the way of fresh fruit mm-hmm. with uh, some good old powdered milk. We discovered powdered milk in Africa, which blew us away. We'd always been having trouble getting powdered milk or anything like that that was any good. And then when we pulled into this little, I don't know, a little concrete block building, which wasn't much, and it was maybe 10 or 12 feet wide and same deep, walked in and one wall was almost covered with New Zealand powdered milk. Wow, that's cool. I've never, never even thought about New Zealand powdered milk. This is wonderful. So we bought some, and it was the best powdered milk I've ever had. It was as good as fresh milk. So keep an eye out for that. But it was, was that, it was a great way. Was that Nido? N-I-D-O? Might have been. Might have been. Uh, yeah. Because we, we found that quite off in quite a lot of places. Um, yeah, I well, you were there roughly before. when we were, so it was probably the That's same right. stuff. Yeah. You still, still get it now. Um, yeah, exactly wonderful. the same. Um, and I, I went hunting for powdered milk in the States because, you know, I try and get off the beaten That's track as much as I can. Um, and when you go to um, the, the tea and coffee section, that sort of thing, um, the powdered milk all has um, sugar in it. But if you go to the baking section, you can find powdered milk that has um, no sugar in it. Oh, well, the biggest problem that I find is that you can't get whole milk powdered milk. It's all skim milk powdered milk. It's not nearly as good as the whole milk that you get out of the New Zealand. Yeah, what, mm-hmm. what you can That's do with true. it, though, is just don't mix it to the way that the, the specifications they yeah. give you. Don't put in mm-hmm. as much water. That's what I find. Yeah, it makes it better, but they're still, they've taken the fat out. Mm-hmm. And that's the flaw. Sam, you sort of brought up the, the one thing there, and I just want to cover that quickly because we're, we're running out of time here, but um, was about perishables that travel well. Did you have more to add about that? Um, I don't actually travel with very many perishables. Um I'll stock up with those as, as we're traveling. Um, one of the things that we do try and find is um, uh, cheese triangles. Have you guys come across oh, yeah. those? Yeah, yeah. we use uh, baby bells. Right, Th- those sorts of things. Yeah, we found right. these cheese triangles in just about every country in the world. Even in um, Asian countries, we found these cheese triangles. Um, and they just seem to last forever. I hate to think what preservatives they've got in them. <laughs> but, um, you know, that sandwich by the side of the road or whatever else it is, um, you've, you've got those. Um, but perishables, not really. We'll carry... Um, Graham's um, sausage-type things and we'll carry um, biltong. Um, or, you know, um, oh gosh, what's it called in North America? Um, beef jerky. Yep. Um, because you can make some great stews and things like that by chopping a, a little bit of that in. And of course, it lasts forever. Um, and one of the things Birgit um, introduced me to was we'll always have a plastic tub. Um, and when we buy tomatoes, the tomatoes will go in the plastic tub and they'll go in one of our tank bags. And um, then as we're traveling, these things don't get squished. 
and it keeps them clean once you've washed them somewhere where you've got access to clean water. And then they're just clean in there so you can reach down and, and munch if you want to. Yeah, I'll often put those uh, type of things into a, a cup or a pot or something like that so they don't get squished. Mm-hmm. And it's important. Yep. To, and, and, and away from the heat because the heat is obviously really bad for that sort of stuff. You, any, mm-hmm. Anything perishable, anything soft. Yeah. That's why I don't like the tank bag for putting food in, actually, because our saddlebags are deliberately white because it's much, much cooler than a black saddlebag or a black tank bag. I haven't seen anything other than a black tank bag yet. So mm-hmm. the saddlebags are much cooler. So we always do that. Graham has a, an aluminum-colored tank bag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I've also I've said it before, got a little igloo that sits behind me. So that's great because that keeps them a little bit cooler and uh, and it's just it, things don't get crushed in there so I really like my little igloo but I talked about that the other week yeah igloo is a cooler for those yeah yes. yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. yeah we bought one for um, I think we had it in Africa and South America um, just one that holds a six pack perfect mm-hmm. excellent size yeah. for a bike just strap it, it on we strapped it on the top it looked silly as hell but because it was just right on top of the top box which is already tall enough but it was great for keeping things cool for the day well, um, it's that time in the show. Moving on to, to really to Graham's favorite part of the show. We're going to do plugs. <laughs> yeah, is it that time? <laughs> but but we're, well, we're not taking Graham first. No, we're, we're going to start with Grant. Grant, what do you have for plugs? We've got all kinds of events coming up, as usual. Mongolia, a new event in August, August 10 to 12. So if you're in that part of the world, try and be there. And uh, then we've got Switzerland this is their third year, I think it is, for Switzerland. They do a really good event. That's August 16 to 19. And, of course, our home event, Can West, in beautiful downtown Nacusp, which is, I think it's a population of about 1,000, and then we bring in almost a, a good chunk of that. And uh, we actually have the biggest event of the year that, in uh, this little town of Nacusp, but it's a great spot, fantastic riding, off-road, on-road, beautiful roads everywhere. That's August 23 to 26, always the last full weekend in August. And then the Hum Appalachians, our off-road navigation challenge. That's September 14 to 16, suitable for all dual sport, adventure bikes, whatever you want. As long as it's got some predilection for off-road, it's fine. That's the Hum Appalachian. So check those events out. And last one in September, Italy. And the, oh, and North Carolina's in September as well. Good grief. We've got, wait a minute. We've got so many events in September, it's crazy. We've got North Carolina, September 20 to 23. We've got France, September 21. California, which we'll be at September 27 oh, to 30. I'm going to that one. <laughs> You're going to that one. Right. We'll see you there. Fantastic. That's going to be a fun event. So we've got lots happening. Always go to horizonsunlimited.com slash events to see what's happening when you're planning a trip around the world or to the next state or just want to go somewhere. Have a look and see what's on where and maybe you can come to an HU event and meet a whole lot of other travelers and people just like yourself who are interested in travel and want to get out there and do it. Great way to meet people. And Brian, what have you got? Um, as you know, we'll be travelling for the next um, oh, nearly two months. But when we get back to Australia, and this is really for our Australian um, listeners, the Wall to Wall Ride is uh, a charity that I've been supporting for 10 years now and I've been well involved with. Um, they have a raffle every year and Yamaha kindly donate a brand-new bike to us. And this year they've donated an MT-09 um, Yamaha motorcycle, great little bike, 
$16,699 Australian it's worth. And there's only 3,000 online tickets sold um, at $10 a ticket. And then a few tickets sold uh, on the day, and it's drawn on the 14th of September. If you want to be involved in it, it's a great um, uh, prize, and Yamaha support us every year with a with a new bike. So uh, get online, go to walltowallride.com. That's walltowallride in one word dot com, and just follow the prompts and uh, grab a couple of raffle tickets because everyone I know who's um, won the prize have kept the bike. They just love them. So, um, and that's a charity for um, Police Legacy. Uh, we support um, children uh, through their education of um, police officers who uh, are no longer with us. Thanks. And we'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. And um, yeah. Brian, is, is that only available to people in Australia? I mean, you, if you, because you, you said the tickets were available online. What if you bought and you weren't in Australia? Um, I, how would you collect the bike? That's the thing. If yeah, you I mean, want you to win. Well, it could be a You could always right? put it in my name and I could get it to you. Right. So, I mean, you know, it might be worthwhile. <laughs> might be some, no, no, no. Look, I guess you'd have to check the website. Yeah. Check the website. I'm not too sure whether we can do it, uh, internationally or not. Uh, I'm not too sure about that, but, but I could chase that up. Aussie yeah. Yeah, you wouldn't be able to ship it overseas because there's too many countries you couldn't import it into. No, a Yamaha might do a deal. That's what I'm thinking of. They might, but it'd be really tough for them because that's it's 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 not Yamaha, it's Yamaha Australia, Australia. that's yeah, doing it. And that's I've, where it gets sticky and ugly. I've, I've seen that kind of thing before. Basically, right. somebody would sell the bike and then they would have the money to buy a new one at home. Yeah, it would be a good way to go over and do a vacation, though, too. I mean, you sure, cool, wouldn't they just use it as an excuse yeah. to hey, go over, ride? I'll store it here, just keep it running for you. Hey, there, there you, you go. go. That well, sounds well, like well. a plan. Sam, what do you have? Oh, I've got something completely different um, this time, but it's actually totally in keeping with what we've been talking about. Um, a friend of mine has been very quietly involved in um, a team project for the last few years, and it's actually come to fruition. And they've just started a Kickstarter project, which I think has huge potential. They, what they have developed, are portable bioreactors. Now, that sounds pretty um, high-tech, spiffy, and not understandable stuff. But the point is, we all need liquid to survive, and clean water is the best form that there is. And one of my strongest memories I have when we moved back um, from the Congo to England when I was 10 years old was being able to drink water from the tap any time that I wanted to and that it wasn't brown and disgusting. And I still have a sensation of awe every time I turn the tap on now. And these guys have developed the world's first water, nutrient, and carbon recycling wetland bioreactor. It gets better. I'm going to explain some more. It's a deceptively simple water cleaning technology. And you, they come in um, desktop size right up to large panel van size. And what this thing does is it literally cleans water but using natural techniques. So what they've done is they've looked at wetlands and worked out how natural wetlands clean water and they have developed their own system which using exactly the same techniques but portable, desktop, 
up to large van size will do exactly the same thing. Um, and a few years ago, I was saying that if there was ever going to be a, another world war, then it would be over the shortage of water. Well, I mean, with a project like this, of course, that's just totally out of the window, isn't it? If they can get it funded properly. Um, I mean, how does clean water for hundreds of thousands of people who don't have this basic human need met sound? Now, I'm not going to go all techie on you. But what the system does is it creates an ideal environment, and I'm quoting from their website here, an ideal environment from, for a host of microorganisms that happily eat or convert various types of water pollutants and turns the water into clean water. Um, how phenomenal is that? Um, and I'm going to send you the, um, the, the link um, for the show notes, if that's okay, because I'm just thinking, wow, what a phenomenal project this is. Um, it, they've, they've got it so well that um, universities and um, research um, setups are also looking at this and just saying, this is incredible. What a phenomenal system. And apparently... So Sam, Sam, he, let me just ask you, yeah. does this have plants in it? Are there, are there cattails and things like this growing in this? Or is this something that's, that's fully enclosed? It's fully enclosed. Oh, and so um, if people click on the Kickstarter link, then they'll some, find some videos which explain how this actually does work. Um, and I just, wow. I, what a phenomenal thing that these yeah. guys have come up with this because it's using natural techniques to do something that is just desperately needed. And, you know, one of the quirky things about this is that um, space agencies are also looking at it because, you know, there's all this hoo-ha about developing colonies on, um, you know, stars and planets and all this sort of stuff. Well, this system is so efficient, apparently, that it could actually be used for recycling water in those space agency um, colonies um, so that people have got continual water supply, but using natural techniques. I mean, how phenomenal is this? Yeah, it's pretty incredible. But for me, the most important thing is clean water for people on Earth who don't have clean water. Wow, that's pretty incredible. I've heard, I've heard of, of something like that, but it was to do with um, using wetlands to uh, to take wastewater and turn it into drinking water, but not on a small scale. And it all involved plants, you know, having a, yep. a whole ecosystem of plants that survive, um, which doesn't make it portable at all. and doesn't make it practical for places where you can't grow those types of plants, but that sounds incredible. Well, I mean... The, um when I helped organize the Hub UK in, in England, one of the venues that we had, all of their wastewater, their grey water, went into a, um, a reed bed setup. So the, the reed beds would naturally fill to the water. So um, the, the tainted water would actually come out of the other end as being clear water that could be well, yeah. even drinkable. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, so the technique nice. is there and it's been there for a long time, but not actually in this portable um, situation. I'll definitely have to have a look at that and give us the link and we'll put that in the show notes. Um, Superb. I guess that wraps it up then. We've got all of our plugs in. So. You are so predictable, Jim. You are so predictable. Do you, do you know what this is like? This is like, you know, for those who celebrate Christmas, this is like those Christmas morning where you get that one kid that is so stoked for Christmas morning and you, and you, they just have to wait, right, until the coffee's made and, and the parents get out of there. Okay, Graham, what have you got? Oh, let me think. I'll see if I can think of something. It's so um, <laughs> I've been waiting so long to do this plug. I mean, six months. <laughs> when, when I um, when I rode my bike back to the UK last month, my poor, tired, broken, thirsty, oil-drinking KLR, I went to go and see my IT man and to talk about some things I need doing on my website. He said, "Look, 
if you took your KLR into a dealership and say, can you fix it? They would say, look, come over here and let me show you these shiny new ones, sir. <laughs> That's what he's done with my website. He said, we can't fix your website. It's knackered. <laughs> oh, I've got a brand new, super shiny website. And I'm very excited about it. We, uh, I talked a little bit about this uh, recently. And um, we, we looked at iPhone. They seem to know a little bit about websites, so iPhone X. And we've copied iPhone X. <laughs> so. so you've taken the iPhone website, you've basically plunked your pictures on it, and that's it? That's the website? Yeah. <laughs> a little bit. Well, we just used their sort of the, the, the graphics that come across. So that with a different template. So got this new website. It's got a fantastic shop. And now with this new shop, I'm able to offer different things. One is that with any three items, you now get a pannier box replica and for free. And if you buy free items and not only that, but if you, uh, for raw listeners, if in the little discount code box, you put in raw deal, you get 20% off as well for the rest of the month. So, not only can you get a free pannier box, but you're going to get a discount as well for being a raw listener. There's also the galleries of the different books and different journeys. But one of the galleries is well-traveled travel books. And it's pictures of people who have read my books and take pictures of my book in various places. There's Alaska, there's Costa Rica, there's Thailand, there's all sorts of places. Now, if you have a picture, it doesn't have to be in an exotic location. But you have a picture of my book somewhere whether it's imaginative or funny, whatever, go to the contact page of the website and upload the picture. And the best pictures get a free code to download an audio book. So you get a free audio book. So there's all this really cool stuff going on with my new website. So grandfield.co.uk, go and have a look at it. It's just new. It's just launched. And uh, you get discounts, you get free stuff. And it's just uh, a pleasure to wander around it. I have a question um, for that for that contest where you take a picture of your book. Do you have to buy your book, or could you go to a bookstore and take your picture? Yeah, take a picture of it on Barnes and Noble and put it back on the shelf. You're not going to win anything. <laughs> You're so sensitive. <laughs> what it was Actually, all... it's quite imaginative. <laughs> but it was all different bookstores. You know, like a tiny little bookstore and a big bookstore. It could be fun. Yeah, yeah, the, the Goodwill. <laughs> Also, I've got one other little plug on the back of that as sure. well. I am definitely now coming to the US uh, for the hub thing in California. And between mid-September and the beginning of October, I'm going to be between Colorado and California. I've got a few presentations booked, but if anybody else, I've got a few free dates, anybody else would like me to present at their bike shop or organization, I'm up for doing that as well. So that's the end of my plug. Thanks for letting me have that. And that's through the <laughs> website, gramfield.co.uk. You've got a contact page on there. They click on that and they can fill it out and say, hey, we want you. Totally. Great. Yeah. Well, I, I guess that wraps things up then. Um, is anyone holding something back? No. No, I think we're done. <laughs> done, sure. Okay. Yes. Well, Shirley and Brian, um, you guys have a great time and hopefully we'll connect with you while you're out there and, ho- and hopefully Shirley we'll picks things up and, and feels much better. Yeah, we'll be right, Tim. Thanks for that. We'll have a great time. I'm going to get out my chopping board and All my right. serrated edge knife and my cup full of wine and I'll be fine and dandy when we next speak. That sounds fantastic. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, everyone. Cheers. Bye. Cheers. See you soon.
that wraps things up for this month's ARR Raw. Before we go, um, I'd like to ask you to drop by our website and consider clicking on the support button. That's www.adventureriderradio.com. Remember, anything $10 or more is going to get you a sticker. Anything $50 or more is going to get you a mention on this show. Sam, we really appreciate that. If you can't do it, that's fine. But if you can, we'd really appreciate it because we certainly need your support. Well, I want to give a special thanks to my co-host, Graham Field, lives in Bulgaria and has some great adventure motorcycle travel books for you at www.gramfield.co.uk. The most innovative and desirable travel book package ever conceived, the Pannier box set, which is Graham's, the sexiest thing you can put on a bookshelf. This is all Graham's words, containing three books and with over 150 Amazon five-star reviews. That's pretty darn good. Anyway, drop by his website and check that out. Also, Sam Manicom, who lives in the UK, he has four paperback books that would take you through different countries, which turned out to be his eight-year trip around the world. Tons of information there, some really great books. You can check out his website at www.sam-manicom.com. Uh, he also does a, a bunch of um, other articles and, and different things. And of course, his books are all on, on uh, Audible as well. You can get them there. And Shirley and Brian... Shirley Hardy Ricks, Brian Ricks from Australia. They've got some great moto travel books and, and they do articles on motorcycle travel, as you heard Brian say there. They're available anywhere you get ebooks or drop by their website, www.aussiesoverland.com.au. And of course, Grant Johnson from Horizons Unlimited, which is the hub literally for the adventure motorcycling community. Horizons Unlimited has tons of up to date travel information as well as a huge forum for connecting travelers around the world. They also put on the hub meets around the world see a worldwide list of hub meets at www.horizonsunlimited.com something you definitely want to do this summer is attend one of their meets special thanks of course to our producer elizabeth martin my name is jim martin thank you very much for listening this has been raw see you next month